Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. We honor you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you, God. There is none like you. There's none like you, Lord Jesus, none like you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. We enter in, we press into you, even when it doesn't look like, (laughs) when it looks like we should be giving up hope. You are our living hope. And we press into you, Lord God. We thank you. We honor you, Lord God. You're a great big God. You hear and know our every need. You're You will answer our prayers. We just thank you. We thank you for Pastor Taylor, him being here, for giving the strength to be here on today. Pray for his healing. Continue blessing over his wife and his three daughters, Lord God, that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them guidance, Lord God. And even in this season, Lord God, that they will press closer into you that they will not lose hope, and they will continue to worship and praise your mighty name. In the face of adversity, that is when we know what we're made out of, and we're made out of your spirit, with you, and you living in us, and you are our living hope. So we just thank you, and we honor you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for life, health, and strength. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Woo! I'm going to try to get myself together. <laughs> Go somewhere and lay in a corner and just thank God for um great man again that Pastor Taylor is. Um oh. <laughs> I I I know I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Pastor Taylor. I'm gonna leave that alone. <laughs> so I wouldn't be here. I know I wouldn't. So thank you. Appreciate it. Uh y'all gonna mess me up this morning. Ah, okay. <laughs> so um ah, so I missed a Sunday. Um I apologize. My work uh, required something of me, <laughs> um, and so I had to be there instead of here, so I had to cancel, or, and Elder Sam uh, filled in somehow, way or another. <laughs> and so um, I was going to do a continuation of what I preached on then, and so I still am. So we're going to quickly review. Uh, we talked about grapes and marbles. Ha, I bought some more grapes and marbles. I'm not going to eat any grapes and marbles today. <laughs> But I did bring some. <laughs> and look, my, my marble bag actually broke, so I had to put them in a little plastic baggie here. And so, so I have grapes and marbles. And we talked about, uh, you know, what are we as the body of Christ? Are we, are we grapes or are we marbles? Uh, and we pray that we're working towards being grapes uh, in that we are connected together. We may look similar. We may be different colors. I purposely did this. Um, there's some variety. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, <laughs> there is a variety, uh, and we're even though we we sometimes tend to be marbles in that we may look alike, but we may fall apart from one another 
and uh, you really can't tell. You know, with marbles, with a group of marbles, there's one or two fall away. You can't notice. You don't really know. You could be in and of yourself and be a part of a body. Um, but like I said before, if, if, a, if a marble came out of here, you couldn't tell. Uh, but if a grape is from the vine, you can tell that grapes are missing, right? And they're connected. So if one of the grapes are rotten, of course, we said that will concern the whole bunch of grapes because if that rotten, if that one grape is rotten, then that may affect us. And so everyone is concerned and connected with one another. So that's what we talked about. Uh, we, we were from Hebrews uh, 10, 24 to 25. Uh, we said we will consider one another. We'll stir up love and good works in one another. We are going to be exhorting one another. Uh, and in particular, we use the example of exhorting. Uh, the Greek word is parakaleo. Para is from close beside, and kaleo is to call. And so that is like we are supposed to be each other's umpires. Uh, so we're standing close beside one another, and we're making calls for each other. Blind spot, and we may say, hey, you know, Something's going on here. You may need to check this out. So that's how close we're supposed to be. And we're supposed to assemble together, make that a habit to assemble together. And then we finished off in Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, uh, which talks about us being joint supplies according to the effective working in each body part. Uh, and Jesus Christ is our head, and we are the body. And so I did an example of like connected arms with a group of people, and we were tied together. My destiny is tied with your destiny. And, you know, even though uh, accepting Jesus Christ, is, you must have a personal relationship, um, it is very public in that uh, we are connected. So what happens to you affects me. We are the body. And they say that's the body. Uh, if I stump my toe, my whole body will respond to the stumping of my toe. You know, I may limp. I may, my body, my hands may go to it. Um, if I do it, Hard enough, I may even cry or shed a tear. I may scream out loud. Uh, so my whole body responds to that simple something on my pinky toe, possibly. Um, so, yeah, and so as in the body of Christ, we are connected to one another, and so should we. So if one part of our body is suffering, then we as the body should come around that and say, hey, let's, let's show some love, let's show some tenderness, let's show some kindness, let's surround that person and help them through that. Because that is part of our body as well. Uh, so we are connected. We're not marbles. We're working. We're, we're not marbles. We're grapes. And even though sometimes we may choose to be marbles and want to be our own separate entity and our own person, uh, we're still grapes. Uh, and God has called us to be grapes. And we are connected. Um, so even if you don't want to be connected, you are, unfortunately. <laughs> Fortunately, unfortunately. And that is really important. You know, I, re- I was reminded of that recently. Just reading something in the news about another uh, ministry locally here, and so initially you want to you you want to cast some judgment and throw some stones, but then the Lord reminded me and said, "This is about you too, Virgil, and that we're all Christians, and so if they're looking at that Christian organization in a bad way, then we're all being looked at in a bad way because we are the body of Christ." And so I immediately prayed. I said, thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, for reminding me that I'm connected um, and that we are the body of Christ. And so I need to pray for them just as if it was happening to me. Um, don't know all the details of situations, and that's not important, but to pray for them, uh, that they're able to uh, work through that, work through whatever the challenges are, 
and that God will be in the midst of that and see them through. Just like I would hope someone would do that for me if I was going through a situation. Is, am I right? Yeah. Right. All right. I'm just make sure I'm right. All right. <laughs> so today, so as a continuation of characteristics of a genuine community, which was that message a couple weeks ago, and you can also pull it up on our website and listen to it if you care to. Um, but as a continuation, we're going to talk about scandalous mercy. A Jesus-centered community, right? I know. I love that word scandalous. It's like, ah, nah, it's not that bad. <laughs> uh, but, but Jesus' mercy was scandalous. Um, so I was uh, listening to a podcast, and I probably start out all my messages as listening to a podcast, because that's what I normally do while I'm at work, because I drive a fork truck most of the time, and so I just listen to lots of podcasts, um, some good, some bad, um, and some music, R&B, and uh, so as well, I'll, I'll confess. <laughs> also some Christian gospel music as well. Yes, definitely. Um, but I was listening to a podcast, and so the guy was talking about uh, this guy called Paul Hebert. And he wrote this book or essay called Anthropological Reflections on Missiological Issues. That's a lot, that's a lot of long words. Um, but basically what he was saying is that when people go on to do missions work, um, particularly uh, Western cultures, uh, they tend to bring their Western culture with their Christianity or with the, with, the, with the gospel. And so the gospel tends to look more like Western American culture. So particularly talking about uh, missions, missionaries from the U.S. going into other countries. And so in, in this essay, which I haven't read, I try to get it. Barnes, you know, Barnes & Noble, we don't have a Christian bookstore anymore. Barnes and Nobles doesn't have it, so I'm going to order it online. Uh, but so in that book or essay, several several pages, um, he talks about how you know we as uh, missionaries from America go in and don't always preach the gospel as the gospel, but preach Western American gospel. <laughs> and that is true. You know, if you don't believe me. Uh, that there is a culture to our gospel that we present when we present the gospel. You know, go out west and hear the gospel versus in the south or go north. Um, probably present it very differently. Uh, so we have a southern gospel culture that we we filtrate our, uh, the gospel through. Uh, and we have to be careful about that. But in that, he talks about um, this math term, uh, and I'm not a math person. I did well in math, don't get me wrong, but I'm not a math guy at all now. Uh, but talk about a bonded set and what is called a center set. What is Elder, Elder John? Elder John is a math guy, right? Yeah. You know what a bonded set is? We're quizzing you now. No, okay, never mind. All right. <laughs> so a bonded set uh, It's a group of something that has a very clear set of attributes that make them all belong to the same category. So this is a play off of our marbles and grapes. So a bonded set, would, uh, we're going to use some different colors here because uh, there's some diversity in our, 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 our bonded set here. So you have some people here. And so what happens is, this is a bonded set. It's clearly defined who's in the group and who's outside of the group. And those definitions are done by that circle here. This defining circle shows who's within that circle and who's without that circle. You with me? I don't want to get too, um, too far gone. Uh, so the attributes. 
So who are you? Your identity and what group you belong to is important in our Christian life. Um, and this is an example of a family reunion. This is an example of a family reunion. Who is going to be invited to the family reunion? Of course, whoever is a part of that family, which means in that bloodline would be a part of that family. So that would be the set here that defines who's in this circle. The bloodline, and then you can also possibly be a part of the family if you marry into that family, right? So bloodline and marriage are probably the only two ways you're going to get invited to the family reunion, unless you're real close friends with somebody. And even then, you might be questioned at the door, why are you here at our family reunion? <laughs> and if you put raisins in your potato salad, you definitely not come into the family reunion. <laughs> That's the, we'll, well, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but it's defined clearly who's a part of that group and who's outside of that group. Uh, and, and that's a bonded set. It is that a clear, clear characteristic. So what would be some characteristics that we would say would be a bonded set in the Christian life or in the Christian community? Um, so one would be, you know, people would say, well, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe that's part of that set. So in order for you to be in this set, possibly you mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, other than that, there are some other things that we may add to that that may have some biblical principles tied to it, but we added a little bit more to it. So I think about my uh, my holiness church that I went to as a as a small kid, and I went from a holiness church to a non-denominational church. You're talking about some whiplash going on right there uh, when I was younger. <laughs> holiness church, I remember my mom saying she you couldn't wear pants, had to wear a dress, and a dress had to be a certain length. Uh, no makeup, no earrings. Uh, yeah, I, you're right. Yeah, I know that. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, and for men, I guess you, you wore a suit all the time. Every and Sunday, you had to wear a suit and tie. Uh, I, I couldn't be holy this nowadays. I would just, they probably kicked me out of the church um, if I showed up like this. But, uh, but yeah, so those were probably what made it clear if you were in that group or outside of that group with some attributes that maybe have some biblical principles, principles tied to it, but then over the years they've added their own opinions, their own kind of flavor to it. So nowhere in the Bible says that women have to wear dresses all the time, right? You find a scripture? You guys let me know. I hope not because half of us in here would be <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> um, or that you couldn't wear makeup. or you know. So they've added some things, some denominational things to that, some fundamental denominational things to that and so that makes it really clear if you show up to that church and you're wearing pants they say oh she's not saved and you could be saved it's just as saved as anyone else but because that's a bounded set they've set some parameters around who's in the in group and who's outside of that group uh, and we could think of some other things uh the example they gave so for culturally so uh especially for southern christian culture um Sometimes, and depending on what denomination and where you are, and I'm not making an adjustment call on any of this, uh, but drinking. So drinking is one of those things that some Christians are like, oh, you can't drink at all. Uh, but if you adopt that theory and then you go to some um, European cultures where drinking is so freely done, uh, then they will look at you and say, well, I can't be a Christian because 
it's just a part of my culture that we drink. Now, they don't drink, they possibly not drink to get drunk, but it's a part of having a wine, some wine at, the, at a meal or something. Uh, it's a common place in some of those cultures. Even in the United States, some, some uh, Christian denominations, drinking is fine. Some fundamental Christian denominations, if you said you drank alcohol, they would be like, oh, he's a little sketchy, I don't know. They would question. Seriously, some people question <laughs> whether you're a believer or not based off of, those things that are not biblical. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that you should not, that it says don't, no, do not get drink, drink to get drunk, um, but not drinking in general is not something that you have, um, definitely not opposed to. Um, everyone's all right. I'm not offending anybody. I want to make sure. <laughs> if you want to prove we can go out and have a drink later on, I'm still saved. I know I am. <laughs> My salvation is not in that drink, trust me. Um, so, yeah, so that is a bounded set. It's really clear who's inside and who's out. So uh, so I, I do want you guys to keep in mind uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, where it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be bought under the power of any. And so just, just a reminder, you know, just putting it out there. I'm reminded myself because uh, we had a meeting at church yesterday, and I was late coming to the meeting. Uh, I don't know if my wife mentioned to you why I was late, um, but I needed to get some coffee. There was no way <laughs> that I was going to that meeting without a cup of coffee. So I was like, I'm bounded by this. I need to work on this. But, you know, I've confessed my sins. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I need to get a coffee, so that's why I was late. I dropped her off, and then I was like, I'm going to get some coffee. I'll be back. Please do, yes. <laughs> Pray for me. Pray for me, please. All right, so uh, outside of a bounded set, there is a thing called a center set. So centered set, C-E-N-T-E-R-E-D, centered set, S-E-T. Uh, <laughs> so in a centered set, there's a definite point that is a center, and then you may have individuals that are around this center. And I'll try to move out of the way so you can see this. So you have individuals that are around this center in various uh, positions, some maybe closer than others. Uh, and it's not about the attributes as much as it is about movement. So there may be people that are moving close to the center There may be people that are moving away from the center. Right? So, so that to say, so the example I'm going to use is who plays a musical instrument? Who has ever played a musical instrument? I play. Right. Yes, quite a few hands. Who would consider themselves a musician? Uh, not the same amount of hands that were up before. And so, how do you determine whether just because you played a musical instrument that you're not a musician? So there, somewhere in your brain you said, you know, I played a musical instrument. And you could have said, well, I'm still a musician, even though you hadn't played in 30 years. But <laughs> uh, there's somewhere that says that I'm not a musician because it's not something that I'm actively doing or seeking or practicing or engaging in right now. Um, I played in band when I was in middle school and high school. And I don't think I've played an instrument since. Um, 
even though I, I thought I was pretty good, but uh, I didn't play anymore. But, but yeah, so I wouldn't consider myself a musician. But there may be someone who's played for 30 years and they continue to play and they practice on a regular basis. And they would say, yes, they may not play professionally, but they would say, yes, they're a musician. And then someone, and they may be closer to this, let's say this is a musician circle, uh, center. And they may be closer to the center because they've been doing it for so many years and they're, they've perfected some things. And, but then someone who's just picked up, let's say the guitar, for example, would can still, still consider themselves a musician because Maybe they picked it up last week, and they practiced and played every day since last week. And they say, yeah, I'm a musician because even though I sound horrible right now, I'm still practicing. It's something I'm working towards. You know, it's a goal of mine. I want to be in a band. So they consider themselves a musician. Even though they're out here, they're still moving towards the musician center. Does that make sense? You you see where I'm going, right? No, the less yeses. We're going to get there. All right. (laughs) Um, So where am I going with this is that, um, I say Jesus Christ is the center. And unlike the bounded circle where we had attributes that were really clear as far as who was in and who was out, in this, which is more of what Jesus was representing, is that he was the center, and there may be people who are moving towards him, and there may be people who are moving away from him. And I may have more in common because I've been saving that 93. That's a lot of years. I'm not going to count them up. But, uh, <laughs> so I may be, you may appear, it may appear to me that I'm closer to Jesus Christ because I've been a saved a long time. But I may have more in common. Let's say this is, I'm not going to say me. Let's say this is Pastor Taylor. <laughs> so he say, I may have more in common with the guy who is here because he, we're going in the same direction. He has the same passion and zeal for Christ, even though this person just got saved last week, possibly. But then there's a person who, in appearance, look closer in proximity to Jesus, but are going the opposite way, meaning that they're not praying, they're not doing some of these things that we probably put in a bounded set that we think people should do, or they're not even, Jesus is not even on their radar, you know. Even though that he was at one point and he, they were moving towards him, and they said, oh, I'm giving up. They turned away. And so would this person have the same commonalities as into this person? Possibly. I stand that they're not, but they could be, have some common ground. And so what community that Jesus is making looks a little bit messy. It's not as clear as this right here. And we're going to look at that in a minute. Um, so if we wanted to make a circle, we could make a circle for Jesus because um, he's going to put in the people who are moving in his direction. So it will look like that, whatever that is. <laughs> it's a little bit messy. Let's look at Matthew 9. It's going to get messy. <laughs> Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose. Matthew rose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in Matthew's house. So Matthew actually invited him over to his house. And uh, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Uh, so Jesus is sitting in a tax collector's house with uh, tax collectors and sinners. And when the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are probably more of this bounded set here, saw it and said to his disciples, 
why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> like, who is this dude? Uh, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Jesus said, I heard Jesus saying, are you talking to me? Are you talking to my disciples? You want to say something? Say it to me directly. You know, that's my Jesus. I'm sorry. It's just my Jesus. It's my interpretation. It's my interpretation, not yours. It's what I, <laughs> I'm adding to the word. I know we shouldn't do it. Uh, but I just bring it to life for me. I just say, hey, you want to say something to me? I, you know. Anyway, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but those who are sick do. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Matthew was a dishonest tax collector driven by greed uh, until Jesus Christ came and called him and said, follow me. Now, something had to be going on. I can imagine something had to be going on inside of Matthew. Uh, maybe he was not, not happy with what he was doing, dissatisfied with cheating people and taking people's money, and it all been about money and goods for him. Um, tax collectors in that time were Jews hired by the Romans, uh, because the Roman, this is under the Roman Empire, Roman rule or empire at that time, uh, to collect taxes from the other people, other Jews in that uh, in, this, in, in Jerusalem, in Israel. So what they did, they were basically like some people were referred to them, they were they were mafia bosses, or um, they hired out Jews to come in and say, hey, well, we'll pay you to collect the taxes because these are your people, so you know who they are, and you collect those taxes, and you pay us. And so these tax, tax collectors became very um, dishonest because they would then take a little bit off the top. So maybe the tax was 10%. Some days they may be nice and say we're just going to do take 12%. They're going to get their 2% and give the 10, 10% to the Romans. Maybe they had a bad day and say I'm going to take 15 to 20%. Give my 10% to the Romans, and I get 10% off the top. That's what tax collectors were known as. They were known for being dishonest, uh, money, uh, money-invested money people. They, they were just really about all the money and what they could get. Uh, so this is what Jesus called Matthew. So honestly, I think Matthew had to be dealing with something just kind of turn away from that quickly. Uh, and then you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a distinguished group of uh, religious observers, and they adhere to the law. Uh, they could be pretentious and sometimes have a superiority complex. Uh, some people would say they were self-righteous people or they were hypocritical. Uh, so they were, it was real clear to them what you could do to be a part of their group. They had definite things about what you could do. One of them obviously was not hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> because they had a problem with Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Um, and not only was he just hanging out with them, he called one to be his disciple, but he actually went to a party, a, a house party, uh, a gathering, a fellowship of sorts, at this tax collector's house. And who would be the friends of a tax collector? Other tax collectors. <laughs> so other dishonest cheats. <laughs> came over, and then they said sinners. So whoever that, that covers a whole multitude of people. Probably uh, if I was there, I might have been in that group as well. Um, so yeah, <laughs> sinners were part of that group. And Jesus was eating with them. And in that culture, eating was a very intimate thing. You just didn't eat at anybody's house. You know, you got invited, and that was probably, you were sharing 
the table with them, as we would talk, we would do uh, later um, after after the message is over. But uh, but yeah, they were sharing and eating with Jesus, breaking bread with him, and that was a big thing to do that. And maybe some of them had heard about Jesus. Maybe some of them said, "Oh, you know, Jesus is going to be at Matthew's house." And maybe they had heard about him because at that time he had performed some miracles, and they said, "You know what? I'm going to go over there. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not saved. I'm probably a dishonest person. I'm all about the money. But this Jesus character interests me, and he is at a friend of mine's house. I'm going to go over there and check him out." And then there were other sinners who were following and said, "Hey, look, this is interesting. Jesus is around here. You know, the Pharisees wouldn't have anything to do with us, even though they had what they thought was." people need it but this jesus guy is over here and he's performing miracles maybe i can go over to matthew's house and see what happens isn't it isn't that how we should be you know anyway we'll get to that so he's eating with them and then uh in in one version it tells it says uh, i think it's the new uh nlt what is that new living translate yeah Whatever, yeah. It says, eat with scum. He's eating with scum. That's how they said it. didn't say tax collectors and sinners. It says scum. I was like, oh, God, that's horrible. Uh, but that's what they said Jesus was doing. He was eating with the scum of the earth or the scum of that society. And isn't it just how Jesus is that he is going to flip that culture upside down because they're saying these people are scum. And there's no way that the king, the Messiah, is going to deal with them. And the Messiah comes, and Jesus Christ and says, hey, that's where I'm going. And so wouldn't you, as a Pharisee, to be like, there's no way that this guy is the son of God. This can't be the Messiah. There's no way he's going to be hanging out with scum. And he was, right? Are we believing this? Yes, okay, good. I'm just making sure. Because that has important consequences to what we do as Christians, right? Right, because we could be so much like the Pharisees sometimes, and I'll be honest, I can too, um, a lot of times, and say, well, they don't fit my circle because they haven't done these things. Right? (laughs) They haven't, you know, accepted Christ, or they haven't, you know, they live in a bad part of town, you know. They eat at, I don't know, what's the restaurant I don't like? McDonald's. They eat at McDonald's. Who wants to hang out with people who eat at McDonald's? Um, <laughs> all that greasy fried food, you know. Yeah. So they made, uh, the Pharisees has, have, because uh, what, what we would say is that these people were good, the Pharisees were good people. To be honest, you know, we can look back and play um, uh, what do they call a Monday morning quarterback on the, after the Sunday game and say all the things that they should have done because we have the uh, vision of looking at it from history and saying, oh, they were so bad. These Pharisees are so horrible. We're Pharisees. Come on. <laughs> some of us have set some definitive lines around our life and said, if you don't fit this, then you can't come in. If you don't do certain things, then I, you know, we can't be friends. Oh, I can't hang with you. I can't bring Jesus to your house. 
I can't even invite you to my house because I'm afraid you might do something that I don't like, you know. Um, and again, uh, all things are not expedient. And all things are maybe lawful, but not expedient. Um, but we have to be careful about who we say no to or what we say no about and uh, being able to not be so stuck in this circle, but looking at a sinner set and say, Jesus is a sinner. And if we're moving towards him and if I can engage you to move towards Jesus, then that's what I need to do. And if it requires that um, we have a little get together at my house and you may not use the language that I would use. I work with people who they're worse than sailors. I swear they curse all the time. <laughs> Everything from top to bottom, everybody's just like filthy mouth. Uh, and it's coming at you all the time. Uh, yeah, you know where I work, yeah. So, <laughs> and so you have to, uh, so so one, I have, and so people automatically know if you're saved because if you don't say a curse word at, at the two sentences, then something's wrong with you because something's wrong with you. You're not cursing like everyone else. It's, it's so obvious. So you know the believers really fast. Uh, <laughs> you can pick up on it quickly. Um, but yeah, so, um, but it's not, so I can win them over. I, I have I have not disqualified them to say they can't be a part of my group. It is more like I need for them to be a part of my group so that they I can infiltrate their life and change them. Um, so Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So Jesus is referencing Hosanna 6.6. 6. It says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. A desire in this is thelo, uh, to will or wish, desire to be willing, uh, to intend. Mercy of the Greek word is elios, pity, mercy, compassion. And then sacrifice is thysian, uh, which means sacrifice. That's all I could find. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... I desire mercy instead of sacrifice. And we're going to get back to that, but we're going to move on right quickly. Um, so Matthew 9, 13 through 17, uh, and this kind of reinforces some of the boundaries that the Pharisees had. Uh, so the disciples, uh, no, well, this is John the Baptist's group coming together. So then the disciples of John, meaning John the Baptist, came to Jesus at this time and said, why do we, the Pharisees, why do we, John the Baptist, and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast at all or don't fast? And so this is one of those boundaries things they set up. They said, hey, you got to fast in order to be in this group. And they were looking at Jesus again and saying, man, Jesus can't, this can't be the Messiah because we're doing all this over here. And then John the Baptist is on a way another level. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> he said, Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He sounds so like he's not really answering the question when he is. Uh, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine in old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine and new wineskins. Both are preserved. 
So John the Baptist is on a whole different level than the Pharisees. So John the Baptist is probably, you know, so the Pharisees are thinking they're the group. They're the end group. They're the pious people. They're, John the Baptist is over here in the desert uh, eating locusts and honey, <laughs> wearing wool, some scratchy and itchy. Uh, I mean, he is like, nah, I'm, I'm it. This is where it's at because I'm living for Jesus. I'm living for the Messiah. I'm living for God. You guys are in your posh little uh, synagogues and you're looking all nice and you're saying who's not in your circle. Well, my circle is tougher than your circle because we're fasting 300 days out of the year. We're doing I'm just at I'm adding to the word again. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so John the Baptist is in the, is on the extreme. You know, he's saying, hey. He gets wind that Jesus has been to a party with sinners and tax collectors, and he was like, wait a minute. And even even later on, he says, are you the one, or should we even look for another? Because you can't be doing all this stuff, hanging out with these people and the Messiah. Um, that's later on in Matthew. But so, so John the Baptist is, is, is where he is, and then Jesus responds and says, they don't need a fast. He says, because I'm here. I'm here now. I am the Messiah. So in that, in that he's saying, um, because the husband in the Old Testament was God. God is an example of the husband. There's several examples of that in the Old Testament. And so he said, the husband is here. We don't need to, the party, we can start partying now. The party has started because I'm here now. Uh, there is no waiting for the husband to come. We're here, so let's celebrate. There is a time, and Jesus says, there is a time for fasting. Don't get me wrong. I think we should definitely fast. But Jesus is saying, I'm here. That time will come later. And so he's recognizing that, one, uh, he, the main thing is he's recognizing that he is the Messiah. And I don't know if they picked up on that. He was here, and so there was not a need to fast. So what Jesus was doing in that moment was he's busting up their way of thinking. He is making a mockery out of this line here that these people had. And they couldn't stand it. The Pharisees, and I could imagine John the Baptist over here, and he later on says, you know, questions what Jesus was doing as well. Like, wow, this can't be our Jesus, right? But it is our Jesus. It's the the person we follow, or we should be following. And then in the, and you can't mix the new with the old. So he had to. He was like, I can't make a patchwork of what I'm doing and combine it with what you Pharisees Pharisees were doing. Because that would have been nice because he would have said, oh, you know, let's meet you halfway. Let's, let's kind of say we're going to do some of what you're doing and introduce some of this new stuff I'm doing. He couldn't do that because it would, it would rip. It would tear up the whole system. The system wouldn't work that way. He had to bust all of this up and say, we can't go that route. Um, and why can't we go that route? We're going to quickly, um, I got like several more pages, y'all. Like 20 more pages? No, I don't. I don't have 20 more pages. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, we'll quickly go to, um, so we have here, we, it's really clear where, where Jesus is standing, and he's not standing with the Pharisees. He's different from, what he's doing is different from what the Pharisees are doing, and what he's doing is different from what John the Baptist was even doing. And then, um, it's even different in his disciples, who he got, gathered as his community. So we already talked about Matthew. So in chapter uh, Matthew 10, so we go further, skip out of 9, 10, 1 through 4, and it just lists 
the disciples. And, and three disciples in general have some kind of uh, added to their name. So uh, Matthew, which they call uh, a tax collector. Um, and then there's Simon. Uh, in my version, it says the Canaanite. It may say Simon the Zealot, right? And then there's Judas, the one, one who also betrayed him. We're going to look at just those three. We already looked at Matthew. But let's look at Simon. Simon, um, Canaanite, was the same as Zealot, just Hebrew. Um, and so he was a Zealot. The Zealots were a party of zealous Jewish independents, and they wanted to overthrow the Roman rule. They were devout Christians, or devout. Uh, they were devout to the Torah, uh, but they were devout with the sword. They were like, hey, we love, we love God, and we're going to kill those people who don't love God. <laughs> so they were really serious about what they believed. So you had Simon in this group, and he was with Matthew in this group. Right? Y'all, y'all see where they are on the streams here? You have Simon, who wanted to overthrow the Roman rule, and then you had Matthew, who was working with the Romans, selling out the Jews, taking money from them. I could imagine that was not a nice, you know, they probably had some stare downs at the table, you know, possibly. Again, I'm mad. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I could imagine that there were some extremes there, you know. And this was the community that Jesus was building. His disciples, they were different. And I want to this is just not happening by happenstance. Jesus is doing this on purpose. He wants us to see the community that he is building, one, does not look like anything the Pharisees was doing and anything even John the Baptist was doing. He came here for the sick, the lost, the ones that need change to be broken. That's what he came here for. I didn't come here for you guys who thought you were self-righteous and religious. I came here for those people who were on the margins. They were, uh, Simon and Matthew were on different political spectrums. I'm going to preach a message next year. Um, and when we're in the thick of the politics, on the politics of the kingdom, just thought I'd throw that in there. It's going to be interesting. I'm still working on it in my mind, but we'll see how it comes out. <laughs> for the politics of the kingdom. Yeah. Look out for that in 2020. <laughs> Summer, fall 2020. That's when they're to come out. <laughs> I have it already packaged, but I'm just going to set it aside for now. Uh, but, yeah. So they were on different ends of the political spectrum. But Jesus called them both. And he said, follow me to Matthew. And sometimes Jesus even... For the example, um, I think I read somewhere that Jesus even moved, uh, Jesus is, this is not always here because Jesus will sometimes move towards you to bring you in, you know. So this is not always static. But Jesus is still the center no matter what. He's the center. But he may move to bring you closer. He may say, I'm going to move a little bit closer to you to bring you in. Um, he was redefining what it means to be a part of a community of believers. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you've done, how good you are, or how bad you are. Uh, it doesn't matter your religious accomplishments, how much money you had, um, all the things that you think you're good at and not good at. It didn't matter. Jesus was saying, I'm here for it all. And then the third person was Judas. 
Now, Judas in proximity would look and appear that he was close to Jesus. He was one of the 12. There's no way that I'm sure the people out here were thinking that this guy that was in close in proximity to Jesus was going to turn away from Jesus. But that's what he does. He sells them out for 30 pieces of silver. It is not about looks or appearances, but it is about the heart. Let's go back to Matthew 9, 13. He says, 13, it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want people whose hearts are shaped by mercy and not by religious rituals. I want your hearts to be changed and not just you doing religious acts. And I thought of this as an example, and not to put any uh, college students on blast, not, not at all. But uh, I know when you're a college student, you have to do, uh, especially specifically for liberty, but I think all the colleges require you to do some community service. Am I right? <laughs> or even high school is now required. Uh, and so sometimes it's different when someone, when it's a requirement for you to do community service, and then you say, oh, I got to go to go feed the homeless because it's a requirement, and I got to get my hours in. So that is the sacrifice. That's someone who sacrifices. You may go and do it. You're saying, yeah, I'm going to do it, but your heart is not in it, and you're just doing it just to meet that requirement, that religious requirement, or whatever that school requirement, whatever you're doing, that's what you're wanting to do. You're doing it just for that. But you come at it with a whole different attitude when your heart is changed. And you come in with a whole different perspective if you're moved with compassion for the people that you're going to go work with. And so you, you, you bring a whole different person, personality and effort and strength to that because your, your heart is in it. I read a story where a lady said, you know, oh, some friends of hers was in the part of this organization. They were going to go feed the homeless. And she said, oh, that sounds like a good thing, uh, a good Christian thing to do. I'll do it. So she was doing it sacrificially. You know, it's a good thing to do. I'll go help those poor homeless people out. But she realized when she got there and started helping them out, that she was then moved with compassion. And it did, didn't become just a sacrifice, but it became something she looked forward to and she wanted to do. And she got to know the people and know their names and know their situations and pray with them and live life with them. And it was, you know, she had been doing it now for years and years because it became a passion. She was compassionate. Her heart was moved and she found that's what she wanted to do. Um, we're not going to be um, we want to be Jesus Christ, Jesus center. We want to be Jesus at the center. And so many times, this is not even uh, a bounded set. I think it is will-centered. If you can overcome whatever the situation, well, if you can do what we require with your own strength, your own might, your own will, then you can cross over. So it's not about to say this is about your will. It's not no faith is involved. Uh, no love is involved. It's about how I can muster up the strength to wake up in the morning and go feed the homeless. And if I can cross that and check that box off, then I might could be over in this. Or if I can say, oh, I, I willed myself to get up and pray. And my prayers may be hollow, but, you know, to everyone else, it looks like I, I got up and prayed. So, yeah, it's good. It is about my will and not about Jesus. Unfortunately, what are we going to do with this? What are we, how are we going to change the way we view our communities that we're in? Uh, this body in particular, 
as a body, but then also as individuals. How does this change for you as an individual? What do you practically do to uh, win people, to see people come to Christ? Does this open up your circle any? Do you say now, you know what? Um, yeah, I, I've added some things and I put some boundaries around myself. And now I need to, you know, bust this up a little bit. I need to get rid of this. And I need to be more Jesus-focused. And I need to be willing to go places or be with people or live life with people, not lowering my standard and not living my life like they're living their life, but showing my life to them so that they see a better way and are excited about the Jesus in you and make a different decision. So are we willing to do that? We're willing to kind of put down our barriers and boundaries that we put up and say, I know there's some people who don't look like me, don't think like me, don't dress like me, but they need Jesus. And they kind of maybe even expressed a little bit that they're interested. You know, they may say, oh, you know, you may talk to them on Monday when you go and you tell them about church, and they say, oh, that sounds interesting. They actually engage and listen to you um, when you talk about your church. And so there may be an opportunity to witness to them, to share the gospel with them. Um, and they may not be your typical southern-looking culture <laughs> who grew up in church their whole life, and they just need someone to talk to, which is important. That, that is, that, that's the low-hanging fruit sometimes, I think especially in, in the South, because everyone grew up in church almost, right? You know, it's kind of like, uh, and everyone is a Christian, even though they may not show any fruit, everyone is a Christian. And so it's moving beyond that and saying, hey, what can we do? Uh, what can I do to win them to Christ? Stand to our feet. <laughs> So my prayer is that we move beyond the boundaries that we put on ourselves and around other people and that we begin to um, share Jesus to everyone. They look like us. If they don't, they're in environments that we are like, wow, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't talk to them. Those are the ones you need to talk to. Because they need Jesus more than anyone. Um, We're going to partake in communion. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net. Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.